With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Silvia Vasquez Lavado is the first Peruvian woman to summit Everest, the world's highest mountain, and the first openly gay woman to complete the seven summits, the seven highest mountains on each of the seven continents. Her new book, In the Shadow of the Mountain, a memoir of courage, explores the sexual abuse she endured as a child, the time she spent trying to outrun her pain, manifest addictions to alcohol, to work, and to sex, and the vision that led her to the mountain and to healing itself. Silvia, thank you so much for doing this. Alicia, thank you so much for this invitation. I am just thrilled. What an opportunity. Thank you. Silvia, you write, some people are drawn up the mountain for glory. Others are pushed up by pain. Silvia, what was the pain that drew you to the mountain? By the time I was climbing Everest, I had an accumulation of pain. Yet the main pain that led me to this journey was the unfortunate experience that I had to go through, which unfortunately one in three women around the world have to experience it, which is the trauma of I mean, surviving sexual assault as a little girl. And unfortunately, this happened for many years. That shame had caused so much chaos in my life, um, had developed into an addiction that had marked my life quite quite a bit, yet also... At the time, I was bringing a lot of my grief, having lost my mother, having lost a very dear person in my life. So, so there was an accumulation, yet all started by the journey of trying to heal the experience that I went as a little girl. I want to unpack that, and I want to take us back to a moment where you've not even begun that process, and that is you arriving from Peru to 
the United States to Pennsylvania to go to college. And your rendering of yourself is so sweet, right? That you're like on the train track, just trying to get to campus. And you keep introducing yourself to strangers as Sylvia from Peru, as though the entire state of Pennsylvania <laughs> was waiting for your arrival. And and I was struck by the fact that it, it's four years. It is a lot of time, but you go from being that girl to your first job after college, you work at Sky Vodka, whereas you write, you become a workaholic, alcoholic, sexaholic. That is a lot of change in a very short period of time. That was one of the funnest chapters for me to work on. And I have just recently been asked to be the commencement speaker at my university, and I can't wait to deliver that line. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> I, I am Silvia from Peru. In many ways, I had a little bit of a childhood interrupted and my innocence was interrupted. And because I was constantly running away from just the shame and the fact that the circumstances that I grew up with also were not very supportive in terms of racing what had happened to me. If anything, there was a lot of secrecy and there was a lot of keeping faith. And so coming to the U.S. for me was a way of escaping. And I find myself that I was quite ill-equipped to kind of face being on my own. I felt like I was a little bird caged. All of a sudden they open up the, the cage and I'm desperate, but I don't know how to fly. And so I felt for me being in the U.S. was a way of rewriting my life and not having to look at my past. And that led it to feeling that if I could develop, quote unquote, a normal life, if I could have a, a successful career in doing anything that my father would deemed of acceptable, that I would have outsmart my pain, that I would have outsmart life. And that was a challenge because I think what I had learned is that you can't, unfortunately, you know, trying to kind of cut any part of yourself eventually is going to have an impact in the long term and not a positive one. You introduce this idea of false bottoms, of things that we think are absolute worst. And you take us through a series of them, including a DUI with a parked bus where you blow a 0.28, or that's your blood alcohol level is 0.28, which is four times the legal limit. That's mm -hmm. not your rock bottom. No. Your rock bottom actually ends up being a very surprising but telling rock bottom. Mm -hmm. What was it that you needed? I think it was to be witnessed by my family. It was, I mean, especially my youngest brother who, because of my migrating to the U.S. to study, I had to have to leave. And leaving him when he was just seven, eight years old was so painful, especially because when he was born, I remember making a commitment that I would be there to protect him from a lot of the pain that, that we had grown up with not so much the abuse, but at least the way that my father was. And so having to leave my youngest brother was always really hard. And so then the opportunity came for him to eventually move to the U.S. And we were living together. And he found me passed out at the entrance of the apartment that we were sharing. And that was enough for me to actually having been witnessed by him that I could no longer run. I mean, to finally almost, you know, see my secret discover, 
was, I, I felt that I, I couldn't hide. I knew my brother would tell my mom. And that was pretty powerful. Is that the point at which mom brings you home to Peru for the ayahuasca ceremony? That, that is the Because point. that is a real turn that I did not see coming. <laughs> like mom recruiting dad and saying, this is the path forward. My mother was such a conservative person. So conservative. So conservative in her own upbringing. But when she suggested, I just felt, I mean, I already had self-shame. Now I had the shame of my family having witnessed what this disease was doing. And so I had nowhere to hide. And I felt, well, moms know best. I mean, so I remember flying to Lima and almost going there with the expectation that I was going to encounter the negative forces that were causing this pain. I felt I was going to encounter maybe people that were wanting my demise. So I was literally going into this ceremony feeling like, all right, bring it on. You know, who who are those evils around it? And who do I encounter? Yourself. I see that little girl that I had been trying to destroy, ignore, ashamed of. I see her. And all she wanted was was to be embraced and acknowledged. And I will never forget that emotion, that feeling of of just hugging her. And just even even in the ayahuasca, feeling in my heart, oh, you know, there is something that we are, there's like a missing piece. It almost felt like this little ego coming together. And that is what makes it so magical that just as we are having this special moment then we hear these rumblings and mountains formed around us, which was so strange. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer 
M&M's for all fun kind. Draw a line for me from having that vision of yourself, hugging little girl version of yourself, the mountains sort of appearing around you, and then your first climb. What did it require of you to prepare to get ready for that first climb? I had never in my life gone on a hike. I have never gone. I mean, I had gone camping to the point of like, I would drive to the campsite, set up the tent, hang out with friends, drink, and then drive out of the campsite and then drive away. That was that was my my couple of exposures. So, so really hiking wasn't like, oh, really? I, need, I mean, as I started reflecting, I'm like, well, it's this biggest pain that had paralyzed and had caused so much self-destruction in my life. It's only appropriate to bring it to the tallest place in the world. Biggest pain, biggest mountain, biggest mountain in Nepal. Okay, base of Everest. I can walk that. And so when I was trying to organize a trip, a couple of the hiccups that I realized, first, you need two weeks to do the trek to the base of Everest. I only had one week available to do it. And so even from the get-go, I'm like, okay, well, I, let me just... Let me just do this so that I don't ever have to figure out what would have happened. And so here again, I went in without no expectation. I mean, to the point that I, I didn't own anything when I went to the trek except for the shoes. Everything had been loaned to me. This wasn't on my DNA. I landed in Kathmandu. And even when I landed, the agency owner told me, you know what? You're not going to make it in, in a week. You're not, you're not going to have enough time to get to the base of Everest. So, and I was like, all right, I'm already here. I'm just going on a walk. You know, the little girl inside of me who is still inside of me wanted me. What am I going to see? Okay. I will never forget that, that just heading into the mountain with a local guide and a porter. And when I came across the Himalayas on the second day, that's when my life really got turned upside down. Because the side, I will never forget that moment. Just we were climbing out of Namche Bazaar, making a right turn, going around a big curve. And all of a sudden, like the curtains open up and these enormous peaks are overtowering everything. And I, my profile, I'm a tiny little ant. And I think I, there, there what really was so meaningful is that reflection of like, oh my God, I had never seen anything that spectacular. And in, instead of feeling scared, I felt a sense of welcoming. I felt a sense of safety, of a visibility that I had never felt in my life. And somehow my courage started brewing in and I wanted to go further. I, it just felt like, oh my God, I belong here. I just want to keep seeing more and more. Dad put a fire in me that I made it to the base of Everest in four days. From somebody who had never climbed before, I went from, you know, from zero to like, okay, well, I guess I have to become a mountaineer. There's a part and in the shadow of the mountain that jumped out at me. I think it's going to jump out to our listeners. And that is you write, to say that I was unfaithful because my father had been so is too easy. Nothing true is that simple. But it would also be untrue to completely deny that it was in the blood, in the name, that I come from a long line of men with second families and secret children, of women who turned the other cheek and then the other, often because they had no choice. While I rejected the options Peruvian culture gave me for womanhood, in the process, I slipped into another stereotype, the unfaithful man in the house. 
the dog with a bone. And I wonder, Sylvia, if you have found a third way. Absolutely. I think now, (laughs) I'm now four years sober. Writing this book has been the biggest gift to me, has allowed me to really embrace my own healing and also has allowed me to expand my understanding of life. I think when we neglect ourselves, we have a very limited view of who we can be. What I truly have learned now through a lot of the the healing practices that I'm doing is this beautiful term called common humanity. When we're feeling that we're going through a certain pain, that we're feeling that, you know, we are experiencing something that no one else can identify in our close surroundings. The idea of common humanity is to know that someone somewhere around the world is going through that as well and allowing our mind to expand to that point. So to what you were mentioning right now, I think that that is the third alternative. You know, I've been, I had lived my life with this defensive, who is there to get me and let me outrun and let me be prepared. And it's almost like you either have to be the stronger or the weak role. But what common humanity has allowed me to realize is that, wait, why do you need to fit under one of two categories? What if we can just be both, be with the pain, be with the motion of strength, I mean, and combine it. And, and in many ways, this is one of the reasons that I, I say my vulnerability has been my strength. So at any point do you train to go up the mountain? I started training. <laughs> I, I like how that comes out. Listen. Yes, you know, so the whole being in the base of Everest was the beginning of it. And then I decided like, okay, well, how am I going to climb a mountain and how am I going to do this? And then I broke it down. Let me do the seven summits. Let me actually start from the easiest to the hardest. It just felt like this logical step. And so the training for the mountains, it was pretty much like an urban jungle training. Whatever was around me, I will carry a lot of weight on my backpack in San Francisco. Outside, when you cross the Golden Gate, there is this area called Marin Mill Valley. And it's beautiful with valleys. There's amazing trails. So I will be pulling tires. I will be, you know. Oh my God. Imagining you in Marin with the tires on your back. (laughs) Yes. And and like, you know, creating the noise. I had, I had no shame. I mean, it was almost like matter of survival. I couldn't, you know, go to a mountain. I love whenever I would be on business trips and I was, I was a couple of weeks shy of an expedition because I will always do my expeditions on like, holiday breaks or, I mean, I, I think my last three years before Everest, I was all my Christmases were on a mountain. I would take any opportunity, even if I would be on a business trip, like if I would be in New York City or, or somewhere else or, or overseas, if there was not a mountain, there was a big building. So I would go up the stairs and I would climb up to the 45th floor of a hotel, you know, just thinking, it would be embarrassing here. You have these women with a little backpack, like going up the stairs, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I just became creative. There was that part about, you know, you do with what you have. And I, I mean, I was just committed because I knew like I needed at least to have the cardio. I mean, the technical aspect, I learned it in different climbs. I did Mont Blanc, I did Rainier. I started getting a little bit more skill sets to get prepared, crossing ladders. I mean, th- there was something that, that I started building up. The scene where you have your neighbor build a rickety ladder 
so that again you can just be like in your backyard, <laughs> in my backyard, bizarrely <laughs> crossing across neighbors' houses. <laughs> and it is so hilarious that when I get to, to do the training of ladders, it's almost like you shouldn't have even bothered. It's just not doesn't really compare. So, so yeah, it's a combination. It's uh, that's what I love. It's just you know being me, <laughs> being just the regular flow human being that I am, and, and just you know, try my best. I, I got points for creativity, I think. You do, 100%. There is the bravery of your adventures. There is the bravery of your life, Sylvia. I would argue that in the shadow of the mountain, just writing a book that is this raw and this honest is itself an extreme act of courage. Like, I wonder if there was any point where you were halfway up this proverbial mountain where you were like, you know what? I want to take some of it back. The reason what led me to write the book was very unique. On my anniversary of Everest, I was going, I was on my way to work. I was cycling. It was a beautiful day. I was 10 days shy of, of going to Denali to try to complete my last mountain. It was this gorgeous day in San Francisco. And I decided to bike. I, I would bike half the time, drive half the time. And I went out without a helmet. And as I was coming down into Market and Castro, a truck almost cut me. And I ended up falling on a ditch and I hit my head and I passed out in the middle of the road. I woke up when I was in an ambulance and they were taking me to trauma. The collision, the pain and the speed that I had come through had just been so hard that my brain shook. So I ended up on the ER. And as I was there, the doctors found a small brain tumor at the base of my brainstem. And the very first night on intensive care, they couldn't tell if my tumor was benign or cancerous. And I remember I had my friends that had come in, you know, they were keeping me company. I kicked everybody out. I had a time to myself. And the very first thing I said, wow, okay, well, cancer has been in my family. This could be cancerous. And very first thing that came to me was gratitude. I felt gratitude for the most beautiful sights that I had seen in my life, the most gorgeous sunsets, the most gorgeous sunrises when you are in, in such high altitude. I had walked higher than a storm. <laughs> who, who could experience some of these beautiful views? And so I told myself, well, gratitude. And if I have about a year to live, I will quit my job tomorrow and I'll spend the rest of my life trying to, to connect with as many young girls as I can, inspire them to be out in nature trying to climb as much as I can and find a way to share the story because hopefully this could inspire someone. And luckily my tumor has been benign, yet that was the seed what I started to kind of share the story. And so when, when I completed Denali and when the opportunity came for me to really to share the story, I committed myself to do it not from a place of ego, but to do it from a very wholesome place. And I was very purposeful about it. Sylvia, what did I miss? One of the pieces that, that we can talk is the power of awe. Awe was one of the biggest emotions that with the trauma, we can easily put on the side. Life gets on the way and we just like, ugh, you know, we just become jaded. And that is a beauty when, when you see little kids. It's just everything, every single day for them is all. 
There's something new. They get excited. It is that discovery. And that is something really powerful that I was hoping to make a point within the book is that it is still in us. It's never going to go away if we just allow just a little walk in nature. And it doesn't have to be the most extreme mountain. You would be surprised giving ourselves that space. If we can find a little time, maybe early in the morning, just as the sun is coming out, a a little, I, I think a little quiet can give us that opportunity. And that is a part of what I have loved about the metaphor of the book, is the one single step that would create a change. Sylvia, thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> thank you, Alicia. Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Polina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.